The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the RPGBot.News. I'm Randall James, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And also Ash Eli. Hey, guys. And tonight we have a special guest with us, Alex Kammer. Hello, everyone. I'm delighted to be here. Alex Kammer. I am the director of GameholeCon. I am a uh, otherwise general nitwit specializing in uh, collecting games, writing games, and also I happen to have the good fortune of being one of the owners of the amazing Shoe Dungeon attraction. Um, so I'm Looking forward to talking about all that stuff with you all tonight. Awesome, awesome. So, Tyler, what are we doing tonight? Well, uh, we had the good fortune to meet Alex at GaryCon earlier this year, and Alex does a bunch of really, really cool things that we wanted to know more about. So I figured, hey, let's go straight to the source and just talk to Alex about uh, GameholeCon and True Dungeon and Alex's awesome D&D collection and also the, the cool stuff that Alex writes himself. Awesome, awesome. And so I guess, Alex, it makes sense to hop into it. So a question we always ask, what is your history with tabletop RPGs? Well, I have the good fortune of, uh, well, it depends on how you look at it, I guess. Uh, I live in Wisconsin, uh, as you all know, having been to GaryCon, that Wisconsin is the birthplace of Dungeons & Dragons, so the birthplace of really all role-playing games and everything that's gaming, you know, mo- what we think of modern gaming really started here, but for the bar- board game track, it's slightly different. Uh, obviously, D&D was tremendously influential on uh, all the board games we love, too, including video games and so on. But anyway, uh, so the, what happened is, as a result, uh, people like me living in central Wisconsin, south central Wisconsin, got access to D&D way before the rest of the world did. So I go pretty far back, uh, despite, you know, I'm, I, I will say I'm only 52, but uh, you know, that's, that's, I guess that's always relative. But compared to some of the grognards who have been in this, you know, they're in their 70s now, the original authors, and some of them in their 80s. Uh, you know, I was uh, 10 years old when I first saw uh, the, the, uh, the D&D hardbounds uh, in a local store, you know, basically the equivalent of a, a drugstore. And uh, I couldn't believe the covers, and I had to have them. So I started saving lawnmower money, and I purchased them, and it's been just sort of full on ever since with that. With you know, with a few exceptions, of course, to do things like take a little detour through law school, um, got married, have some kids, things like that. Some other some other things that have uh, taken a little bit of my time, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, but the tabletop games, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gaming's been a real thing for me forever, and I still have those original books that are behind me here on over my right shoulder. Now, when I with those books I bought in the early '80s, so yeah, that's my background, and uh, you know that with Traveler too. I remember buying the original Traveler set and screwing around building ships with my friend Trevor, never really understanding the game, but we really liked the the, the, <laughs> the books were so cool and building ships was super fun. 
That, that's pretty awesome. I have to ask questions. So you talk about buying the games with your lawnmower money. Like, inflation rate-wise, like, how many hours of lawnmowering were we talking about to buy a book? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. You know, I really thought about that. I should actually do the math on that. But the uh, So it would be, uh, boy, it would take probably about 15 hours of, and this also speaks to my parents' rate of pay. So that is also. I have not been getting top dollar now that I think about it. Um, so, In retrospect, yeah. there's a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. About probably 15, 15, 20 hours, something like that per book. Uh, so, you know. No, that's not too bad. I I remember, right? Like you're trying to earn money. It, it w- when I was young, I wanted to buy a Final Fantasy game, and like the number of hours I put into making that happen were were pretty ridiculous. <laughs> um, yeah. awesome. And and so more recently, uh, one of the things I want to call out: you're a writer. You publish modules that people might be playing at home. You know, it it isn't just that you're a player of the game. You're a person who's contributing, uh, directly to folks' tabletops. Yeah, that's been uh, so. I've been a writer. For a long time, I do professionally, uh, you know, legal writing and so on. But uh, uh, dipped, you know, formally into uh, published D and D and tabletop writing, and in, uh, in probably about a little more than ten years ago is when I really started. Uh, and it's, my first foray was uh, into the Adventures League. Uh, actually, that's not true. I did a self-published module first. We have a little uh, imprint called Gamehole Publishing, and we've published a. a a bunch of, of uh, uh, accessories and uh, modules through that imprint, uh, which has been picked up by Frog God Games and a few other distributors, uh, Noble Knight carries our stuff and so on. But anyway, uh, so I think that was my first one. I think 2013, it was a module called Brain Gorger's Appetite, which was a, uh, uh, Mind Flayer was IP, so I had to create a new monster to uh, to uh, write about um, that was essentially a, a mind flare, but it wasn't a mind flare, uh, and uh, that was my first my first published book. Uh, but then since then, I've been you know, I've had the good fortune of uh, co-authoring with some really great people. I have, gosh, I think I have six different publications that Ed Greenwood and I have written together, um, and we awesome. were just we were just conspired. I just had an email exchange with him today, and he said, "Alex, when you have time, I really want to write another one with you." And I so I. We're going to do another Realms book here at some point, probably next, uh, once I get the current things off my plate. But uh, so yeah, it's been awesome. I it's just uh, and to I, I love the I love D and D so much, and to be able to contribute to it. And then when people come up to me and say they bought something that I wrote and they had an awesome time playing it, it means so much to me. I can't even. It's just it's humbling, deeply humbling. Yeah, I'd laugh at the idea. Like, I really want a mind player, but I can't have a mind player. So, what am I going to do? Tyler always jokes about, like, yeah, you just scrape the serial numbers off that mind player. You toss something else yeah. out there. It's going it, to be great. It's, it's not a mind flayer. It's a brain flenser. That's right. <laughs> it doesn't have tentacles. It just has more arms. Mentally <laughs> appendage is what uh, well, now I've got the mental image of just arms coming out of your chin, and that's all right. <laughs> Honestly, it's not terrifying. It's fantastic. Yeah, disturbing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> cool. And, and I, I, I get the feeling I'm probably going to say this several times throughout this uh, this news episode. If you're looking for some of Alex's work, we will have links links in the show notes. Go click it, find it. It's awesome content. So you just casually dropped that you just write a bunch of things with Ed Greenwood, which is pretty great. Uh, do we get to know what, like you mentioned that you might do another Realms book, do we get to know what you guys are thinking? Um, well, we don't really have a, a region pick, so that's the great thing. Ed is, well, you know, father of the Forgotten Realms. He is explosively uh, creative. He is uh, actually a bit of a challenge to write with because he is um, 
he produces so quickly. He writes so fast and so well. Uh, it's amazing. Um, but so we just finished uh, Fae, Land of the Red Wizards, which has been on the GM's Guild and it has sold like crazy. I, I guess we we thought that people needed some more Thay and uh, we, we were right. <laughs> so <laughs> that's been really great. I mean, that's sold so many copies. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's been really cool. And Ed and I did the Border Kingdoms was our our first hardbound uh, for the DMs Guild. And so we're going to pick another region. And we're not, um, you know, I think we're down to about six or seven that we're considering. So what we're doing is basically, there's so much focus on the Sword Coast, and rightfully so. I mean, right, that's where Salvatore and Oliver's is set. And, you know, there's so much good stuff going on over there. But man, it's a big continent, big continent when you move, uh, when you move uh, east. And so there are lots of places that got touched in TUI, with some products and some box sets, but they didn't, they certainly have not been converted to 5e and they didn't get the treatment that they deserve and certainly the treatment that Ed would like to, to give them. Uh, so that's, and so he's, he, he really wants to basically tell the story. I mean, he just wants to, he wants to get as much of the realms out there out of his head onto pages for fans to enjoy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate that he uh, allows me to come along with him. Well, I, I see a lot of online discussions saying, man, I really wish they would explore beyond the Sword Coast in 5th edition. It's really nice to be able to say, like, hey, have I got a surprise for you? Well, I mean, do you have any, do you have any, is there a particular, if there are any particular nations that, uh, that you think of that, uh, you know, that you, as you, as we talk further here, that, that uh, creep into the back of your brain and suggest it? Because there, there are there are several like Damara is one. There are a bunch out there that I'm very interested in that are, um, you know, so the ones that have been um, either so, just a li- little bit of treatment, but not a ton. First of all, it's nice to have some gaps so we can really fill it, uh, and not just recast. You know, it's we're not we're not converting for a different edition. We're writing new content. You know, we're we're trying to give more. You know, actually, they're system agnostic or edition agnostic. We're writing we're writing lore, not rules you know so uh, we're, we're describing cities we're describing guild we're describing political factions that those are the sort of things that we write about um so my, my, the hope is that this stuff endures you know for whatever editions come i'm sure i'll come up with something at some point i'm not a massive forgotten realms wonk so i couldn't rattle off the names no, of the sure. nations so, so I, all the easy ones i could come up with i'm sure you've already hit uh let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about true dungeon uh so Randall and I had the pleasure of doing True Dungeon at PAX West last year. And uh-huh. like that was our first experience with it. It was absolutely phenomenal. Tons of fun. We brought our wives through uh, and neither of them play. So this was like a great exposure for them to be like, oh, OK, I get the appeal of these games. I understand the themes like that. There's a lot of cool stuff going on here that they hadn't really exposed themselves to. So it was a ton of fun for us. If I remember right, Randall, we lost at the very last room. Yeah, it was, uh, and I'm, I'm going to forget the name of the adventure, but I think you're going to tell me. So we arrived at the feast where all we had to do was a, was appease the person overseeing the feast, solve a table puzzle of where everybody was meant to be arranged. Uh, but every time we did this and failed, everybody took damage. And ultimately, we managed to kill the entire party by failing at solving the table. <laughs> You know, it was like you do. <laughs> it was yeah, it was awesome. 
um it was a it was a really cool design they're like you know so we come in you get a random bag of coins you're building a character you're choosing okay what am you know how am i going to build this character putting this all together uh one of the cool ideas to me was the idea that like okay when i come back i buy another bag i put it together and i'm i'm accumulating something and so there's value in me coming multiple times um and then in every room like every room like okay am i gonna fight this with combat is there something i can do more clever than combat that's going to help us get through this room without as much resource attrition. You know, so in a lot of the ways, the things that we love about tabletop were directly translating, but in a really approachable way where you could bring your friends, you know, folks who maybe aren't as involved in tabletop or, you know, don't have as much experience in a lot of the concepts. It's something they'd still be able to absorb and really engage with. So I love that about True Dungeon. So as someone who has yet to do True Dungeon, uh, can you uh, explain... And for anybody who hasn't done it before, exactly what what the what the draw of True Dungeon is, what its deal is. I know it's like you described it on the website as a mixture of a escape room, which I actually work at an escape room. <laughs> ah, so coincidence. Um, and uh, and t- sort of kind of like live action role play, but not really. Is that correct? Well, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult thing to describe, uh, and I think that uh, uh, you know Randall Tyler can join that. It's, after you've played it, you say, "Ah, I get it," but now how to really explain it? Uh, it's it's first of all, all credit to my partner Jeff Martin, who's the creator of of the of the uh, of the True Dungeon uh, faction from day one. He's the one who writes all the modules. What you're describing, I believe, is Florian's Feast. He writes all That's the. the one. The, all those modules uh he calls them modules because he's an old school dam- gamer even though they're not modules you know they're they're a series of seven rooms that are connected so escape room is fair uh but they're connected escape rooms that are all similarly themed so uh you start with uh um as, as randall explained uh with either a group of 10 people that are all people you know or some people you don't and you build a character using tokens uh, and you go through that process of everyone, you're all, let's just say you're all neophytes, you've never played before, because it's a whole different game for the people who are very experienced. They come in with all kinds of tokens. They have characters built. They're, they're, they're seeking to level up, uh, so they're, they're, they're optimized. But for the, those of us who aren't, you come in, you get a bag of tokens, you sit down, you figure out what that, those tokens are good for as far as what class, and you try to work collaboratively to share tokens with the group to get a reasonably capable group. And so they fire they follow the classes of classic D&D. You know, there's a druid, there's a wizard, there's a thief, barbarian and so on. So um and each person uh each 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 character has a different uh specialty or role that they can help with in the adventure. So there are some rooms that are combat rooms where you fight. Obviously the fighters and rangers and barbarians are going to be more effective there. There are puzzle rooms where um, you have to solve a puzzle, a physical puzzle that you interact with. And uh, for instance, the thief can attempt to pick a lock, which is a physical uh, device. It's basically think of the game operation. Um, and you, 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 you move a metal stylus through a lock pattern. And if you're able to do it, uh, you get a hint to solve the puzzle and so on. They're very complex. And every character class right. has something in each room to, if they can, if the druid can remember um, the the right components of a spell based on uh, leaves that the types of species of trees that they had to remember uh, initially they can give a clue they'll get a clue because there's a GM that goes with you 
that that assists you know that best you know runs the game for better or worse um and so you go from room to room and it's extremely theatrical uh it's it's as immersive as we can make it uh lots of animatronics lots of uh people in costume actors essentially um and it's quite an experience i mean i uh you know, my, you know what's funny? My experience is the same. My wife uh, is not a D and D player. She's not into role playing games, but she likes Shoot Dungeon, um, and she does it every year at GameWorldCon with her friends. Uh, so it's what that's what's cool about it. Jeff has really gotten just hit that that perfect sweet spot where it really is accessible to everyone uh, and people enjoy. It. You don't have to be a hardcore nerd to get into to enjoy Shoot Dungeon because it's a spectacle, and and also quite frankly, it probably helps you not to be. <laughs> A, a hardcore nerd the puzzles if you just reason and, and and you're not you're not burdened with the tropes you can um you can have a better shot at solving. so i that's a long-winded answer i hope it makes some sense oh yeah oh no it does it, like i'll call out one of the puzzles that we went into um they had wine barrels organized and there was like apricot and peach wine and this wine and that wine and the other wine uh and there was a, a fawn who had gotten so drunk that they had fallen over and they couldn't remember what they drank last night, I think was the puzzle. And so they had hints and you could bribe them for hints. If you had items from a previous room, um, you could talk to them about it. And it, it's an actor, right? The actor's just sitting there having a good time with you. They're trading jokes back and forth. Everybody's able to engage. And I feel like one of the things I was impressed with is it felt to me like the folks running the show were trying to get everybody there engaged and participating kind of at their level of comfort. Um, but, but ultimately you're solving this puzzle of like, well, you remember that what you drink wasn't anywhere near the apple wine. And then there's a bit of physicality that like there's handprints on one of them and you're like, yeah, drunk guy probably left it there. So probably it's over here. And you ultimately had to resolve that to say like, I'm pretty sure you drink this wine. And if you did that, you were given something, if I remember correctly, uh, are you still running that show? Am I giving people spoilers? This module? <laughs> Uh, no, it's fine. I think, uh, no, that's okay. Go ahead. Yeah, you're fine. Okay. Potential <laughs> spoilers. We'll just, we'll toss it out. Maybe earmuffs if you don't want to hear it. Um, the, the punchline was like, if you managed to solve it, you got an item that you would then run into a dragon and the item would actually help you deal with the dragon that you faced in probably not the next room, but the room after that. And so that's the kind of, it's, when you talk about the reward of role-playing, like sitting down for a session where it's like, I do this work and I put in extra effort and then I receive a reward and then I use that immediately in the same session to actually solve a problem in front of me, where if I hadn't done that, I'm looking back and thinking like, ah, oh, I dropped the ball. In, in this game where you're moving from room to room, it helps you have that experience. And I think it's a great way, you know, if, if folks want to get out, they want to have a good time for a couple hours, it's a fantastic thing to do. And it's, you know, it's a gateway, right? You could absolutely give people this experience and take them home and say, like, you know, we could do this every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that does sound, uh, that does sound very cool. Um, something that I definitely want to try at some point. So where did the idea come from for True Dungeon? What made you guys think? Yeah, yeah this is, so all I can do is be, I can rec recall and uh, re retell what Jeff has told me. This goes back to, a, you know, Gen Con a long time ago where uh, Jeff was interested in creating an immersive experience, uh, and he sent an in invitation scroll to Peter Atkinson, and it was an elaborate, and I can't remember the details, but it had, it was, it was like an exploding scroll when he opened it. And from there, <laughs> uh, he uh, invited, invited Peter to come to try this, 
and he did, and Peter loved it, and it was very, this is, you know, gosh, this is probably close to 20 years ago now. Um, and, uh, and then Peter was completely excited. You have to do more of this. You have to do it at Gen Con. And then he helped, you know, because True Dungeon was synonymous with Gen Con for so many years. It's only in the last <clears throat> four or five years since I've been more formally involved, quite frankly, that uh, you'll, you'll see True Dungeon at other shows like that quest. Um, it used to be only at Gen Con once a year. Uh, and that was very much because of the friendship with Peter and Jeff. Uh, and we still, you know, obviously we're still at Gen Con. Uh, and we're still very close to those people, but that's that's how it started as kind of a goofy idea uh, with wooden tokens at first, and very a very simple dungeon, and it just it, you know there was never a thought. Well, I should I I can I think I can speak for Jeff on this. He was never thought it'd be what it is, and he certainly never thought it'd be a commercial success. He thought it'd just be something that was fun, and it was fun. So uh, that's that's it, and it became, and people loved it, and they couldn't get enough of it, and it's that's still the case today. It's just uh, when tickets go on sale, they vanish. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Okay, so I have to display a little bit of ignorance of con history. So if I remember correctly, you know, most folks, I think, if they're just waking up today and they're saying, "I want to start going to cons," they're looking at Gen Con. Um, at least for a while, it's been hosted in Indy, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, Gen Con was originally in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, right? So now, kind of the we have Gary Con in Lake Geneva. We have Gen Con in Indiana. So 20 years ago, at that point, was Gen Con still in Lake Geneva? No, no. That was in Milwaukee at that point. Okay, gotcha. Cool, cool. All right, so M- Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the birthplace of True Dungeon. Well, yes, it started in... Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, it started in actually uh, uh, southern Illinois, where Jeff is from, and then went to... Yes, went to Gen Con. When it was absolutely right. Okay, awesome, awesome. So I'm a person, I'm sitting at home, and True Dungeon sounds awesome to me. How do I find True Dungeon events so I can go participate? Yeah, just hit the hit, hit your uh, phone or laptop or any computer, and it, it, any Google of True Dungeon will get you right there uh, to uh, True Dungeon events is the actual site. Uh, and that shows where True Dungeon is to be found next. Uh, and right now, only the only ones on the schedule are, are Game Hole Con, my show, in October. And then MomoCon in Atlanta in the spring. Uh, we don't have any other formal events. We're, of course, working on Gen Con and other things, but that's those are the only two that are uh, formally scheduled right now. Awesome. Okay. And I, I want to come back. I have questions I want to ask about GameOcon. Um, I want to stop for a second, though. So I'm looking behind you at the collection, which is the only way that I can describe it. Uh, can you tell folks at home what I am staring at? Uh, sure. Yeah. Uh, behind me is a wall, a bookcase that I, a series of bookcases that I built. I'm sitting in what is called the actual game hole. There's, it's a physical place and it, it sits above a pub I own. Uh, and so just below me is a rustic American pub. And up here I have, uh, three rooms of filled with gaming goodies and a big gaming table, uh, and, uh, houses my collection. Uh, there are a handful of us that are really over the top, crazy collectors, and I'm one of those. And uh, so I have, uh, you know, one of those, one of everything kind of people. I'm one of those. Um, but my my claim to fame, everyone has kind of their niche thing that they do within the collection uh, circle. I have everything that TSR ever produced um, in original shrink wrap. I have at least one copy of every module and supplement and everything that they came out with in original shrink wrap. And that was a 
foolish quest I started years ago and only recently completed. It was just, it was absolutely insane. Uh, but, uh, but it's cool. I love to have it. And I, I did it because I, I found that I was, I was coming across shrink wrap products. I thought, well, isn't that neat? You know, this is a, a module or a supplement that has never been looked at, never been opened. And how cool is that to have one that is just perfect? Um, and I initially started collecting them, and I still have this that, that this thought. Eventually, we will have a unified D&D or tabletop role-playing uh, museum, and I plan on endowing that museum with, with a lot of this stuff. That's, that's why oh, wow. I'm not, I wasn't trying to buy this stuff particularly to, you know, to hoard it or anything like that. It was just to preserve it. I found stuff that was not very, being very well taken care of. Um, and so now it's a lot of these things are stabilized and protected and safe. So you're not a dragon hoarding content. <laughs> no, I, you know, I really try not to, you know, I, I, I don't have uh, tons of copies. Some people there are, I mean, there are folks out there that have, you know, 30 copies of this X module and all that kind of stuff. I just don't, I, I don't, that's just not the way I roll. And in fact, when, uh, you know, I have collector friends who are looking for whatever product X, I say, Hey, here you go. I, I have an X one, you know, there you go. Uh, because it just is. I don't know. These things are meant to be, these are games. They're meant to be played and meant to be shared. Um, you know, I'm not trying to take things off the street and, you know, hide them up here. In fact, people come and look, seek me out and say, Alex, can I come and have a tour of the game pool sometime? And I say, sure, if it, time works out, I meet them over here and I give them a walkthrough and, you know, what product do you want to see and what do you want to look at? And sure. Yeah. This table that I'm sitting at, this is Monty Cook's old gaming table. Oh, and look at that! That's those are the original oh. forgotten. Those are the original Forgotten Realms maps that Ed Greenwood drew and sent to TSR back, you know, in the eighty. So, you know, I have all these wow. relics that um, that I enjoy showing people, and and because it means so much to everyone. These are things that we all. This is a collective experience that we had, and you know, you when you when you interact with someone who's had that same experience as you, something that some piece of magic they got touched by, uh, and they get to see something that they haven't seen in fifteen twenty years. It's just a remarkable experience, and. And I love that. And uh, I love uh, being able to try to do my part to try to, you know, save some of this stuff uh, for, you know, for future generations. If that, maybe that sounds a little over the top, but, um, you know, I just didn't, stuff, so much stuff was getting thrown away and destroyed. And um, so, so there, I'm, I'm one of a handful of people who are trying to do their part to, to preserve this stuff. Yeah. I think one of the coolest things to me about what you're describing is like you've built relationships with some of these folks. So the idea I mean, that what you're capturing is their individual passions manifest and you're taking care of it. And it's something that they can come back and see like, yeah, you know, this is the original drawing or this is, you know, one of the first runs of this publication. Like I, I guess I, I love it in both directions for the, both for the people who poured their lives into this over the course of decades, as well as for the people who are just discovering it today and and trying to understand like what is the history of this? How long has this been going on? It, it's uh, yeah, I think in both directions, what you're doing is awesome. I, I appreciate that, and it's really interesting that um, so many of the folks who wrote this stuff, who created this stuff, don't have copies of these things themselves. Uh, and it's a very interesting experience when you have one of the original people from TSR, and the, you know I know most of them quite well now, who've been up here and you know, look at stuff that they wrote and say, man, I haven't seen one of those in 30 years or something like that. It's just wild, you know? Um, and, uh, it's, so that, that's pretty cool too. I, I, uh, um, and you know, it's, what's interesting though about the collecting, uh, bit of all this is that how many more people are interested in collecting the stuff and just seeing the stuff now than even 10 years ago. Um, uh, the, 
with fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, which is such a great edition of the rules. So it's been, it's expanded the hobby so much. Um, that's what got me into writing, quite frankly. That's what I should have answered with. What got me into writing was that that edition of D&D. Because it's such a good edition, uh, and it's, because it's uh, cleaner and faster and simpler in a lot of ways. So it's very easy for me to step into without having to worry about weird you know, tables and stuff that would affect the game narratively. Um, because I'm a more of a narrative gamer. I'm not a real crunchy, you know, kind of gamer. So, uh, so that's, and because of fifth edition and its popularity, there are so many people that are interested in collecting and, and, and getting back into the roots of the game. Like people that are going now to places like Gary Con to, you know, see and, and game hole con to, to visit, uh, with people, uh, like, you know, like Ed Greenwood comes to our show and all the other folks who, who do, uh, to, you know, share some experience. Uh, that they had and wanted to tell them thank you for writing this book that changed my life you know, back in 1992 or whatever. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, that's a, that's a cool thing about this too. And it's definitely a growing, a growing interest uh, these days, which is pretty interesting to watch. Okay. So I feel like at this point we have to talk about it. So you, you described that you're sitting in the game hole <laughs> full of all this content on top of the pub. You had this imprint for publishing, which was Gamehole Publishing, which you originally were putting content out on. Uh, and then finally, you've got your show coming up, Gamehole Con. Tell folks about Gamehole Con. Sure, sure. Um, well, obviously, Gamehole Con was never intended to be a commercial venture, if you could, you could gauge that just based on the name, right? It's not like we were trying to uh, rob people. <laughs> it, it sounds awesome. I got to go to that, right? It's it's that's not that was never the intent. The game hole is a place, so it was in my basement forever. And uh, so then when I bought, we fortunately got got an opportunity to get involved with some friends to buy this pub, and I had this great space above it. Uh, it moved uh, above ground, but for years it was subterranean. That's why we called it the game. Um, but uh, so and because it's uh, it's myself. And if you were in here, I could point to this wall to my right. There are a bunch of pictures on the wall, and that's all the game hole guys. These are the guys that we play we play games once a week in here, um, and they're the ones who run the show with me. So it's all the game hole guys who run Game Hole Con, uh, and so it started off as I don't know, like any other bad idea, and uh, <laughs> it snowballed out of control. You know, it was, you know, the first year we did it was 2013, and we thought, well, is this just going to be us and maybe a handful of friends standing around in a hotel? Uh, and, you know, 400-some people came, which was great. Um, and then we've experienced between 35 and 40% growth every year since, and it's just been nuts, man. I mean, so we're... Other than, you know, we had, a, like everyone else, we had a dip during COVID. Um, but we're, you know, our show is October 2023 this year in Madison, Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we've sold more badges already this year than we did last. Um, and it's just, so it just keeps growing. Um, we have the largest adventure league hall in the country. We're larger than Gen Con. We have more free league um, role-playing games than, than anyone does. I mean, we're a very, we're a gaming show. So a lot of these other shows, PAX is a great example. Great, great show, but it's certainly not all about gaming. In fact, it's maybe a sidelight. Our show is 100% tabletop gaming. And so the people who, who, if you're really into board games, if you're really into miniatures, if you're really into role-playing games, that's, that our show is great because that's what, that's what it is. We have a big dealer hall too and all that. But, uh, you know, so if you look at our, in, uh, our guest list, you know, see the industry guests who come, it's really a who's who of tabletop gaming, especially in the role-playing side. So um, 
you know, it's basically we made the show that we wanted to go to. I mean, that's just it. We just built the show that we wanted to go to, one that is friendly and cool and fun, um, well run. That's very important to us because that was always a frustration when you go to a convention and they screw up your badge or, you know, the packet's not right. They don't have your game tickets or you they can't tell you where the game is or the DM's late or just stuff like that, you know. So I'm a... I'm kind of a slave driver, you know, I'm a classic Swiss German, you know, so I, uh, you know, everything, everything works, you know, and uh, that's very important to us to have a very efficient show that is that because that's more fun. It's not fun to have problems, you know, you want it to be smooth. Um, so that's, that's what's, uh, that's GameholeCon, I guess. It's just uh, this thing that has really uh, gotten out of control. Well, it hasn't gotten out of control yet. Um, it's it's in here now. Yes, but you know, we're 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 coming up on year nine all of a sudden, and um, you know, and we'll have probably five thousand, six thousand attendees. So for the you were at Gary Cons, we're a little more than two times as big as that show. Yeah, and and the focus on actually being able to play tabletop games, like kind of putting that first and foremost, getting DMs or GMs organized, getting the lineup set. You know, you mentioned being able to do Adventures League. You know, that's exciting for folks. It's going to be a great time having lots of folks running freely games. We love the freely games. I think it's going to be super exciting to come. You know, there's a couple of games that I've wanted to try. Like Vison is kind of high on my list. Uh, we're coming. Mm-hmm. So Tyler and I are going to be there. If we can get there, we can get signed up for a Vison game. I'm going to be pretty excited about it. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I noticed, so I have young kids um, and it looked like GameholeCon kind of has an organization set up to where like, Hey, look, there are kids activities. There are things that, fo- that folks can go do. Well, Again, this this theme, we just built the show that we wanted to go to. We're all young parents ourselves. My kids now have grown up through Gamehole. So my daughter, who is about to be a freshman in high school, will continue to run games at, at in the kids' track. We have a dedicated kids' track, and that's what you re- re- uh, referenced. So we have uh, vetted uh, DMs, uh, GMs that you know we background we check we make sure they're they're uh, they're appropriate to to run games for kids, and then we have them in a special area. And uh, parents can have their kids play a D&D game. They can play all these great games. Um, and uh, that's been, you know, I nothing made me happier as a parent to go by and seeing my guys shaking dice with their contemporaries, you know? I mean, that was just a big deal for me. And so it's, I know it's for the rest of my guys, and you'll have the same experience if you have kids playing because you, you love it. And so, you know, when you see your kids doing the same thing and getting joy from something that brings you so much joy, it's just a wonderful experience. Um, and so, yeah, we've tried to, we've made our show very much family friendly. Uh, we just, you know, we have a, lots of true dungeon as well. We have, uh, they have three dungeons there. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, we also have some other things like that. We have, uh, like free face painting and things like that for kids. And we try to do all kinds of stuff like that to make it fun. It's more of a, we try to make it a celebration or a festival of game. You know, that's what we're trying to do. It's not, it's not obviously a money-making venture. We, we don't, we, we, we our goal is to break even every year. Uh, if we make money one year, we just put it back in the show and buy some nonsense. We just buy a bigger dragon, or whatever, next year. So, you know, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> you know, so uh, and I, and you know, like we we put a lot of into our badges. We have like big cool badges. You know, they're not just you know. We do stuff like that. We try to make everything neat um, because that's what we want to go be part of. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it, you know, it, we're we're the we're the anti corporate show. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so the show is coming up. Um, by the time this airs, like registration will be open and all that. Um, I assume you're going to be at the con. Are you going to be running any games? 
Yeah. So I, so uh, this has been, what's what been awesome about the experience of running the show is that we have this brilliant cadre of volunteers who have come on and now they basically have more institutional knowledge about how to make a badge and how to do stuff than I do and everyone else. So we've all been kind of rendered redundant, which is awesome because now I get to do what I really want to do and that's run games. So what I'll be doing is I'll be running two games of Alien, one of my favorite free league games, and I'll also be running uh, a playtest excerpt from my new book that's coming out that'll be coming out next year with Frog God, um, and it is, it's called The End of Everything, which I know sounds really sunny, um, but uh, it's a D&D uh, big, huge adventure path that I'm almost done with, uh, and I'll run a piece of that uh, game whole Saturday, I believe I'm going to run that. So, but otherwise, I'll just be having fun with you guys and everyone else, and you know, have, you know, enjoying enjoying the attendees and guests, and um, you know, making sure everyone's having fun. So, I, I, it's always a great time. I, I love that the end of everything sounds a lot like Mel Brooks' History of the World Part Two, finally published. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah. Think it or, or it also <laughs> sounds like something from uh, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy Universe: The End of Everything. <laughs> <laughs> We've arrived. There's a restaurant. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> awesome so game con october 20th to october 23rd exactly exactly yep all right we're gonna have links in the show notes so folks if you're sitting at home you're thinking i can get to wisconsin i want to go to a con 100 go look registration's open right now uh by right now i mean like right now when this releases if you're listening to it six months late you have something to look forward to six months later <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, thank you. No, it's gonna be uh, it'll be fun. Uh, the uh, yeah, next gosh, next year's gonna be year ten already. That's just wild. Uh, so we'll have to. We're already connect. We're already we're already planning weirdness for that. You know, like yeah, you got a <laughs> bigger dragon. Yeah, yeah, like really something really bizarre. Like why would someone spend that much money doing that? You know, that kind of that's the response. <laughs> <laughs> double, double dragon, double dragon yes. is the way to go, right? right? Something that actually flies. Maybe I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Which will attach it to a drone and fly it through that. It's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you. It was wonderful getting to hook up with you guys again. It was nice seeing you at, at uh, GaryCon and great to talk to you today. Absolutely. If you're interested in uh, the things that I collect, I uh, do a daily tour on Twitter. Uh, my, uh, my Twitter handle is GHC for GameholeCon and Tacos, my favorite repast. Uh, and uh, I show a uh, product. Uh, going through chronologically uh, from TSR's history, I think we're in the year 1983 currently. We're plowing through the first edition D&D, and we'll, we'll march into second edition and go from there. Uh, and beyond that, uh, you know, GameHoleCon.com, you know, that's one thing about the name GameHoleCon. It's hard to forget. Uh, so uh, any, <laughs> any, any Google search, will land, you will find us, and there won't be anything that sounds like that on the internet either. Uh, and so uh, <laughs> there are no competing, competing shows that have a similar name, so don't worry about that. So yeah, those are those are the two places where I am. Um, and uh, again, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was absolutely fantastic to have you. We will have links in the show notes. So if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, I can't remember what he just said, just go look at the show notes, click it. You'll find the Twitter link. You'll find the link to Game, Game Hulk Con. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You'll find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for sourcebooks and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on RPGBot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. 
Randall can't count. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I was wrong, and then I was more wrong. It was, you know, there was a good foundation of being wrong. <laughs>